Welcome to Sacramento, California. Welcome to the Encore Arena. Jam-packed. Welcome to the Royal Rumble. Hello, everyone. I'm Gorilla Monsoon, live here at the Encore Arena. Everyone waiting, Brain, for that big matchup. 30-man Royal Rumble. And then two big titles up for grabs. The Intercontinental Belt, as well as the World Wrestling Federation title itself. And how about Big Boss Man taking on Bam Bam Bigelow? And what about that opening tag match with the Steiner Brothers? What about the unveiling Whoa. of Narcissus? Who cares? Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, here we are, already approaching the end of September. I know we missed last week, my apologies to that. But it feels like we were just at the end of August, and here we are at the end of September. Uh, We're going to go ahead and skip the news this week. I know you're devastated because this is your big segment, but uh, quite frankly, I just don't feel like there's uh, a lot of big stories going on in pro wrestling at the moment. I mean, there's lots of little ones, but uh, I feel like we could probably do a bigger news segment maybe next week and, and get more out of it, so... Sorry, I'm going to have to stifle your your segment. I'm going to have to hold you back. I'm going to have to go into business for myself. Cut the news this week. Is that okay with you? Yeah, that's fine. Not a problem. Okay, well, we'll get into your review. It was your pick this week, and you picked the 1993 Royal Rumble. Now, why did you pick this show, Patrick? It is the very first Rumble that the winner got to go in main event WrestleMania. That's a very key part in this. Uh, Also, we see the debut of the legendary Lex Luger, the narcissist Lex Luger. We will also see a gigantic, massive debut in Giant Gonzalez. Yes, this is January 24th, 1993. We go to the Arco Arena in Sacramento, California in front of 16,000 WWF fans, even though the business was starting to take a downturn. It's all good. We missed a dark match. We missed Doink the Clown defeating Jim Powers. That was a dark match that we were not able to see. We both watched the WWE Network version, which had some really weird edits in it. and some. Uh, this was obviously a, an edit of this rumble that was meant to air on 24-7, and it probably did because there were lots of... Uh, the F was edited out of the WWF mentions sometimes, so I feel like this was a, a cut of this pay-per-view that was done before they were able to say WWF again. So uh, there's some things I'm sure that we're missing from the uh, live version or the Coliseum Home Video version, but uh, this is... Hey, it's the easiest thing to do is to turn on the network and, and find this thing. So uh, and one thing that's missing, which is really devastating is there's really no open to this pay-per-view it just right it just royal rumble 93 and we're in the arena just no no screaming vince mcmahon no uh rundown of the competitors uh there's not really there's no promo train of the competitors like telling you that they're gonna eliminate 29 people even though they'd have to be the first competitor into the rumble or the second one to be able to do that um so, uh, I just thought the opening to this thing is kind of weird just because 
it just starts. It just we're just right into it. As soon as you hit play on this thing, we're right into it. We get well, I mean another key moment in this event is this is the very last pay-per-view of the run with the title that Ric Flair had before leaving to go back to WCW. Right. This is his last uh, uh pay-per-view. He didn't have uh yeah, he didn't have a championship belt at this time it would have been great if he had the belt and was uh leaving <laughs> that, that would be a like a cm punk money in the bank 2011 thing where if he if he was the champion that, that would have been awesome or as uh during the rumble match heenan i think pointed this out because the loser leaves raw match between him and mr perfect was like the next night on raw or the week after i think it was the next night it was the very next night yeah, so what if Flair had won or Perfect had won and then lost the match? And then so you just don't have a number one contender for WrestleMania. So I think that would have been hilarious if they had actually done that. But that's the story in this Rumble is that the winner actually gets a title shot. And uh, we've already reviewed WrestleMania 9 and what a title shot and uh, match he would receive. As we will find out <laughs> later. Probably the shortest reign of a world champion of all time. Yeah, they've had a lot of other, uh, you know, instant title changes. So I'd have to actually, like, go and look up the amount of, you know, seconds that pass in uh, Yokozuna's first title reign. Um, but, yeah, one of the shortest. Probably up till that point, probably one of the shortest. Um Definitely. I mean, even Bob Backlund, when he won the title from Bret Hart and then lost it to Diesel, he had it for a couple of days before that Madison Square Garden show. It wasn't just instantaneous. So we get the classic commentary team of Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Bobby brushes off all the great matches on the card that they talk about. And then we just cut straight to the first match. There's some weird edit here where we just go straight to the first match and... Patrick, this is when I was uh, angry with you because the first match features the fucking Beverly Brothers. And uh, much like... I just looked it up, by the way, not to interrupt, but the shortest title reign ever in the history of the WWE slash WWF was Andre the Giant won the championship. All right, he handed it off, right? He officially held it for one minute and 48 seconds. So there you go. Really? Wow. And that's the shortest? I swear there's been others where there's been like, you won it and instantly someone cashes. Well, I guess it. someone cashes in a money in a bank and hits one move and beats you. Like, I just feel, but even that, I guess, is longer because they play the winner's music and... Uh, stuff like that, but that's interesting. Yeah, I did. I didn't know that. Yeah, Andre uh, the Giant. Yeah, sold his title belt, <laughs> which is actually a really cool idea. Like, uh, I wish that they had honored Ted DiBiase's title reign uh, from doing yes. that. I feel like that should be a part of the thing. If I buy this from you, I should be the champion. I think all championships uh, should well, be works, like that. It works bo- It works both ways for both characters. You know, Andre's like, well, I'm the eighth wonder of the world. Fuck you. I don't need this. You know, I don't need this title. It doesn't mean shit to me. I'll take the money. I'll take the money. And it works for DiBiase because he's like, hey, I have the money. So Right, and he never seems to win, and he ended up making his own title belt. So Right. Right. But I think even in other sports, this should be a thing. Like, if your favorite team doesn't win their championship, maybe, like, 
Jerry Jones of the Dallas Cowboys. They haven't won an NFL title in of twenty something years now. So what if he just buys it from whoever currently ha- he goes to the Kansas City Chiefs and just says, "Hey guys, uh, I just really want the the title. I'll give you twenty million dollars." Okay, I think that should be a thing where you can just buy titles uh, from anything because everything's got a price, Patrick. That's what we know for sure. It does. Uh, so yeah, anytime a Beverly Brothers match comes on, I get very upset uh, because I hate the Beverly Brothers very much, and it's well, really the no. Fact that it's, it's the Beverlys and the Steiners. Well, and see that redeemed it because that, yeah. I was afraid that the Bushwhackers were going to come out because those are the two teams, and the Bushwhackers had a very at least I enjoyed the Bushwhackers gimmick. The Beverly Brothers don't even have an enjoyable gimmick. They're and they're not even a bad, you know, they're decent workers, but there's just nothing to them. They're so bland. You know, they're generic creator wrestlers on a WWE video game, basically, which uh, we talked about this a, a bit before we started recording. Have you purchased 2K Battleground? You are the biggest video game consumer of wrestling video games. There, You never pretty much pay. You even got 2K 2020 last year. You don't pass up on any of these things. So, Patrick, what is your verdict? I know you own the game. What is 2K Battlegrounds like? I didn't. I did not go and buy it. Uh, excuse me. What? I, what? I did not go and buy it. Are you it sure? Just, Are you sure? Did you just forget? Have Have no, you checked around it, your it, PlayStation it, to make sure that there's not a disc around there? No, it, I did not go and buy it. It looks extremely shitty. Uh, I I I will probably in the future when the price drops. I'll I'll spend twenty bucks for it, but I'm not dropping sixty bucks for it. Dude, well, it didn't. Not, well, no. see, you don't have to drop sixty bucks because it came out at forty, so it already came out at a discounted rate. Yes, but but but, but to get Rock, Austin, and Ed. Oh, you got to buy some DLC. And and Ronda Rousey, it had to be sixty, and I'm not I'm not doing that shit. I can't. I can't. <laughs> well, and I loved some of their arcade type wrestling games in the last few years like all-stars like i think all-stars was good for a bit you know it got kind of tiresome and then uh that legends of wrestlemania game that was pretty arcadey but then you could import the whole roster from raw versus smackdown so uh, i think they've done good arcade style games in the past i mean some of those mobile games that you've shown me they're they seem pretty fun but they're like you said, they're not sixty dollars. They're not forty dollars. So, but when this thing hits a ninety-nine cent bin, I might give it a spin. When it gets, when it gets to be like six dollars, I might take it on a ride because I watched uh, IGN posted the eleven minutes, the first eleven minutes of the campaign mode or like the career mode, and one of the matches, Patrick, you, you'll appreciate this one is a cage match with money bags on the sides of the cage. Uh, Vince Russo's dream come true. So the the wrestlers, instead of really focusing on your opponent, you just climb the cage. It's also an electrified cage. And you climb up and try to get more money out of the bags. It's not just grab a bag. It's just get some money out of a bag every time it appears on the cage. So well, this, this is a this is a Ted DiBiase dream right here. Well, <laughs> a lot of this is all about money today. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a definite like. We always talk about how The Undertaker got all these great gimmick matches. Where was the great gimmick match? Yeah, for Ted DiBiase, a guy that is obsessed with money. There should have been 
tons of matches with just money all around the ring or something where you had to pick it up. So, uh, yeah, so 2K Battlegrounds. And from the footage, I watched some of the hit detection is off. Some of the... Uh, the, the I don't like the way the wrestlers look either because they look like, we've talked about it before, like Celebrity Deathmatch almost, like little claymation style people and i just uh i'm not really feeling that also i didn't buy 2k20 so i've been um kind of on the sidelines of video games but i did stupidly somehow secure a pre-order for a playstation 5 even though i'm never gonna have time to play it i go downstairs and i look at all my video games and i'm like man look at all this i never have time to play Uh, see i i have all this i have all my systems too and they all still work all the way back to my you know original nintendo they all still work but i trade it out and i put it back in the original box and i file it away with the games and all that shit you have this gigantic setup of just and no it's a mess at this point because now the systems are starting to multiply I was going to say, just switch a couple of cords and I can go from N64 or uh, Sega Genesis to PlayStation 4, you know, or or Xbox or whatever. You have like this great, magnificent video game setup that every single guy dreams about. Yeah, but I never have time to use it. So it's really like a, it's really like a museum piece. It's, I even bought an old well, not even an old TV. It's well, it's only twenty years old, but one of those TVs. It's like in the wooden box kind of thing that sits on the floor. I found one at a flea market and got it for like twenty bucks. But uh, so I wanted the authentic experience, and I never turned that TV on. I know it still works, but uh, yeah, I'm a mess. Like just just like you and wrestling VHS tapes. I've got tons of random video games and i never get to play them just like you you don't have time to sit around and watch your thirty thousand hours of tapes that you have i really need to get those filed away into a uh, a dvd set or a blu-ray set oh man and even then it's gonna it, it'll take your thirty thousand vhs tapes down to about i don't know ten thousand dvds you're still not going to you're still gonna have a pile of them so uh, see listen Y'all, for our listeners here, I don't think you actually grasp the significance of the fact that I have VHS tapes. Stacks. (laughs) You're the last person in the world with VHS tapes. Stacks from the floor all the way to my ceiling that I have to stand up on a a stepladder to reach the top ones. Okay, and I'm six foot three. And it probably wasn't until a few years ago where you were recording raw every single week on VHS tapes, and you even until it until it went from the impact zone. Uh, oh, you were I, even taping impact. Oh, I had I had every single one of the TNA original Asylum. I have all of those. I have all of the WWE Confidentials. I have all of Raws, all the Smackdowns. I have all of complete with uh, commercials, which is something that I miss on the network versions of all this stuff is that, well, I mean, especially because you have the local commercials that would air on our cable networks. And so you'd see like old stores that closed and stuff. I just, I miss kind of having the commercials in there just for nostalgic purposes. But yeah, you, yeah, you were, I mean, I remember 
you complaining about these tapes are getting harder to find. I can't even find VHS tapes, but you. Yeah, I was. I, I started going around to my normal places. Like, okay, I go to Walmart. We don't have it. Go to Target. Oh, we don't have them anymore. I ended up going to Rite Aid. Okay, Rite Aid, <laughs> which and doesn't Rite exist Aid. here in Chattanooga anymore, and there's no still some more. around in the country. But I ended up finding four. <laughs> Five packs, so twenty VHSs. You bought the I last bought, twenty of, of. I bought the last twenty in the entire state of Tennessee, <laughs> and used them. And that was the reason I had to stop because I couldn't find the damn VHSs anymore. So, well, right, and uh, about around the time that you stopped, I mean, they had come out with twenty four seven, and uh, they were coming out with the network. And once the network took over, like. Uh, Raws and stuff from, uh, you know, at least 2014, at least the network era on, are going to be pretty much complete. There's not going to be a lot edited out of them, so it's not like... Y'all don't understand as well. I have every single Monday Night Nitro on VHS. Yeah, well, and for years I was always complaining before the network that why don't they put out a DVD set or something of all of them? But you were way ahead of your time, and Yes. But then the network just made it all. I mean, there's still, I mean, you had like the music's not dubbed. There are some advantages of, of those original recordings, but it just sucks for you because now a lot of it is like, well, it's, and it's so much easier to just pull up a computer and a website and go to yeah. watch, <laughs> watch it on the network. But, uh, so no, all this time was wasted. Yeah, all this time, all this work and, uh, archiving that you did, uh, was for nothing. Uh, but it's okay. One day you'll find a hidden gem that'll be worth like a billion dollars and it'll all have been worth it in the end. Uh, so yeah, no 2K battlegrounds for you as we've gotten off topic, but that's okay uh, because we didn't have news. So yeah, they're going to take on the Steiner brothers. So we have fake brothers taking on real brothers here. They're neon singlets. Boy, the Steiner brothers neon here just leaps off the screen. I mean, they were... Uh, very bright. And uh, Scott is going to start with Bo Beverly. Scott hip tosses Bo after Bo complains to Fonzie, the ref, about Scott pulling his hair. Everyone has bullets here except Rick. Uh, Tiltoral slam from Scott sends Bo to regroup outside with Blake. Rick and Blake tag in. Blake gets some kicks to Rick and hits a power slam. So the Beverly's trying their best to get on the Steiner's level with some slams and suplexes, but it's it's not going to work. Rick catches Blake in a leapfrog to slam him, which I thought was a cool spot. Scott tags in, hits a belly-to-belly. Then Gorilla says, boy, I'm glad I retired because these guys are really just beating the shit out of these guys. Uh, Bobby Heenan, even though the Steiner brothers are face wrestlers, Bobby Heenan even says he's impressed by the Steiners. So a rare character break for Bobby Heenan to even say, wow, these guys are really good. Bo and Blake hit a double-team axe handle to Scott, and Bo comes in without a tag. The ref is fine with this. Fonzie not doing a very good job here. Blake tags back in, hits a running headbutt to Scott, who Bo had knocked down. The Beverlies make another tag, and Bo lands some uppercuts on Scott. Blake chokes Scott with the tag rope while Fonzie's distracted. Bo double underhook suplexes Scott for a one-count And it's the first pen attempt of the match, like halfway through the match. The crowd want the Steiners to rally. Blake gets a Boston Crab on Scott. Bo stupidly comes in and drops an elbow on Scott to break up the submission. So he basically cost his team 
the win here. Blake then gets suplexed by Scott but recovers quicker and tags in Bo before Rick can get the hot tag. Double underhook powerbomb to Bo from Scott, but Scott can't find his corner. He crawls to the wrong corner. Blake tags in but can't stop Rick from getting the hot tag. Blake eats a big back body drop from uh, Rick and a released German suplex from Rick. The Beverly's both get lariats from Rick. Then Scott tags back in, takes Bo to the corner for corner punches. Scott ends up in the electric chair, and the Beverly's go for, I assume, a doomsday device or something, but Scott rolls him up instead. Then Scott hits a Frankensteiner to Blake where he smashes right on his head. Ouch. And Scott gets the one, two, three off the Frankensteiner, which at this point in time, you know, American wrestling fans have not seen many Hurricane Ranas. So this was really awesome. And for a guy Scott Steiner's size to do it, um, he dropped him on his head. We're not talking about a regular Hurricane Rana, we're not talking about a regular. Frankenstein, he catches him, and instead of pulling him all the way over, he spiked him on his head. Yeah, it's like a pile driver, really. Yes, it is like a, yes, exactly. It looked so damn disturbing, because I was like, okay, he just fucking killed him. (laughs) Yeah, and this would happen a lot when Scott would do the Frankensteiner, especially with bigger guys, and I mean, he's pretty massive himself, so this, like I say, the Steiner brothers are just... They're really fun to watch, but boy, they can it get scary sometimes because well, that damn that damn uh oh the Steiner screwdriver yes the suplex uh pile driver Jesus <laughs> yeah I'm God, not signing up to take that one <laughs> I I'm not I don't even care if Scott's like hey you know and walks in this is what we're gonna do no we're not because I'm not taking it. Yeah, well, he he didn't. I mean, he only did that move for a few more years and at random, and then finally he retired it. Thank goodness, because yeah, it's that compilation video of him hitting it on YouTube is just insanity. The brain scan. This was the thing they stole from the NFL, where like John Madden would take his little pin and draw on the replay. So the brain scan is what they call it. So Bobby Heenan can draw on the replay, but his pin doesn't work. So it kind of fucks up here so uh, it was kind of stupid what did you think of the beverly brothers and the steiner brothers it was shit i think the beverly brothers are shit but i think it was a good pay-per-view debut for the steiner brothers yes but i mean the steiner brothers were were working with the mop that's the best way to put it it uh they got what they could get out of what they had to work with and I think had you put anyone else in there, it would have been better. Yeah, their their WrestleMania 9 match against the Head Shrinkers was actually probably one of the better matches on WrestleMania 9, and that's because they had had good competitors who they were familiar with because they had wrestled before in WCW. So, yeah, I just thought that the Steiners looked awesome, and I think it was fun that the Beverly Brothers tried to do some of the suplexes and stuff, but... Uh, they're just not in the same league and they're just not, they're just worlds apart. These two tag teams. So it would have been awesome. I mean, had the rockers still been together, I would have loved to seen like the rockers take on the Steiner brothers or, uh, that would have been badass. Yeah. But we'll see what happens with the rockers, uh, later on tonight. Gorilla and Heenan then tossed to a recap of the rockers history. Speaking of the rockers, 
and their feud, of course, this is uh, probably one of the most famous. <laughs> I mean, this gets talked about so much, but of course, yes, uh, Marty leaping through the uh, glass window of the barber shop to escape an attack from Shawn Michaels is uh, just one of the most uh, replayed moments in WWF history. I'd say uh, right up there with Foley going off the Hell in a Cell is probably... If you That's had, true. if you had like a top ten list of moments, like the Rockers breakup angle is probably top ten moments they replay. This is probably right up there. Um, what they don't replay often though is Marty uh, confronting Sean, returning to the company and confronting Sean. He had gotten fired before they could pay this angle off originally, so he came back. Uh, he came through the crowd in a Van Halen shirt. And he appears in Shawn Michaels' mirror. So uh, good camera work here as he pops up in Shawn Mir- Shawn's mirror that Sherry would hold for him while he groomed himself before matches. And, you know, that was actually a really cool thing. And something I think that was a little, a couple of years before its time, you know, because they started doing that kind of shit around the start of the Attitude Era. I thought that that was really cool. Yeah, and something that is not discussed that really should be, because I love the fact that he popped up and you know in the mirror and Sean's like, well, what the hell am I looking at? And turns around and there we go. But no, I, that's really cool and should be discussed more than what it really is. Well, and then this awesome, I mean, as much as uh, Marty going through the window, uh, Sherry takes one here as Marty steals Sherry's mirror and goes to smash Sean. And Sean, awesome chicken shit heel move, pulls his manager in the way. She legit got glass in her eye and had to be off TV and off the road for a while. So uh, that sucked for Sherry, but it was an awesome visual anyway. we got a big match coming up, Intercontinental title on the line. Shawn Michaels facing his former partner, Marty Jannetty. Let's take a look at what brought this all to the surface. This vendetta that Marty Jannetty is going to finish here today. Oh, he is not. They were tag team specialists. They were one of the most popular tag teams in the World Wrestling Federation. They were the Rockers. And Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty thrived on teamwork with incredible precision moves like this. were collectively at the top of their game. Now, admittedly, they were having some problems. But in the barbershop, Marty Jannetty had a chance to show the world he could put their differences aside, shaking hands with Shawn Michaels. As a team, they could strive for greatness, when all of a sudden, this happened. Oh, I knew he was going to do that. I just knew he was going to do that. He don't need Jannetty. I told you that off and on. Are you kidding? What a despicable act that was! Oh my God! Right through the glass window of the barber shop. Look at the confidence in this guy. Unquestionably, one of the highly skilled, one of the most. What is this? Hey, that's that's Marty Jannetty. No, yes it is. That's exactly who it is. Marty Jannetty's in the ring with Shawn Michaels. Michaels can't believe what he sees. Yes, turn around. Marty Jannetty. After what Shawn Michaels did to Jannetty, I didn't think we'd ever see Jannetty. 
snatches that mirror away from Sensation O'Sherry. And I think I know where no. it's going. Yes. No. I know. I know exactly where it's going. Where's Sergeant Slaughter at? Get somebody down there. Here he goes. Right. Oh. oh, no. Oh, my. He deliberately hit Sherry. What? What? He deliberately hit Sherry with the mirror right in the head. He did not. The real story of this match is whose side is Sherry going to be on? Is she going to forgive her man for pulling her in front of the mirror? Is she going to go team with Marty? So Sherry comes out by herself. So she doesn't come out with Sean. This pisses me off kind of because we did this exact same damn thing. Not more than what, six or eight months later with Rick Martell and Sean. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, the same thing. Uh, so, was this, was that before this? Uh, that was before this, yeah. Was it before this? Okay. I think, Or was it after? I don't remember. It was, it was Wembley Stadium was the payoff. Oh, so that was SummerSlam 92, so, yeah. Okay, well, then that, that was before this. Yeah, so that's weird, yeah, that she's already teased leaving him before, and... Is doing yeah the exact same thing now. Gorilla says she could go to any corner, which I thought, well, yeah, anybody can go to any corner. I mean, what does that mean? Uh, Marty, poor Marty here, uh, comes out to his rockers theme. He doesn't even get a new theme song, and he's got his weird flowing tassel shirt, black and white. And then Sean, despite you know being on the outs with Sherry, he still comes out to Sherry's version of Sexy Boy. I guess he hadn't cut his version yet. And his baby blue intercontinental belt. This was a hideous uh, version of this belt. Uh, thank goodness I they did not the remember strap. this baby blue. I, I remember, you know, Warriors blue, but this was like, this was light, light, light blue, baby blue. And I, I don't remember this strap being on this title belt. And it just doesn't go with anything any wrestler wears. Like this, it just stands out. Like, it had to have been a very short, short run with this strap on this belt because I did not remember this. I re- we all remember Warriors, yellow and his blue and things like that. I did not remember this. Yeah, and I think by WrestleMania 9, it didn't have this strap on it. Cause no, it was back to being white. Yeah, that, so this was weird. Uh, Sean style watch tonight. He's got his big mullet, gold jacket and chaps, earrings, sunglasses. Gorilla calls Sean the wrestler of the nineties. He would actually be correct in this assessment. Uh, Marty Janetti is rocking one hell of a mullet here, by the way. Oh, they both. Yeah. They Marty's Marty's mullet is like pristine, perfect, you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow kind of mullet. It was just right on. Lots of mullets on this show. This this show yes. could really be measured in mullets. Sean wants Sherry to come in and do the pose where he throws her down and does his classic Shawn Michaels uh, pose, and you everyone knows what Shawn Michaels pose is. So, but she refuses. She says no, and then Sean takes his time getting his uh, accessories taken off, his chaps and all this stuff. So, I mean, the story behind this match, behind the scenes, though, is that they had been doing this match on house shows and getting great reactions. So they thought they were going to have, like, a five-star classic here, and they ended up getting chewed out by Vince McMahon at the end of it. Uh, So Sean shoves at Marty, 
and Marty delivers a right hand. Marty hits Sean with a knee lift, and he stumbles out of the ring. Marty knocks him out of the ring again with a clothesline. He hits a very slow suicide dive, and Sean is still out on the ring mats. Sean stands up to eat a flying forearm, and he does a spinning bump for it, as he uh, would comically do bumps. Uh, Go watch his match with Hulk Hogan uh, to see Sean's comedic bumps. Uh, Marty then tries something off the top turnbuckle to Sean out on the mats, but gets a knee for his trouble. The infamous moment in this match happens when Sean rams Marty's right shoulder into the post like he was going to do a power slam, but instead he just rammed him this into the post. This motherfucker starts selling his left shoulder. Oh, yes. This is a big problem uh, to Sean. Sean, we've seen Sean Michaels throw fits in the ring before, but uh, he didn't throw a fit, you know, outwardly. But inside, this pissed Sean very much off that Marty sold the wrong shoulder. So, but Sean does correct it. Sean tries to cover for Marty and then rams his left shoulder to the post. So, there you go. He he solved the problem, so I don't know why he was so pissed after that because he got out and fixed it. So, because how fucking hard is it just to hey, you literally just got slammed into this ring post and you're down on one knee and you're immediately selling the wrong damn shoulder. This is amateur <laughs> First day training, 101. I mean, this. See, you're on Sean's side here that he should have been really pissed about. Absolutely. Listen, Marty's a great guy. I love Marty to death. Marty had to have been high on something because this was shit. I would have been livid. (laughs) Well, because it's the story of the rest of the match. So now Sean has to adjust the entire rest of the match to, to go against the other shoulder. I legit would have been livid. So Sean takes him to the corner and punches at his uh, shoulder. Sean then slams Marty on the carpet in entryway. The crowd chants for Marty. They want a Marty comeback here. You would not hear many Marty chants in his career. Uh, Sean works at Marty's shoulder when they get back in the ring. He hits it with an axe handle from the buckle. Then Sean works a rest hold on Marty's left arm. Sean hits a flatliner to Marty for a two count. Then Marty slows Sean down with a couple of right hands. Sean gets up to the second rope but gets booted in the face by Marty. Janetti dodges Sean in the corner and Sean rams his shoulder into the post. So it's a battle of who can injure their shoulder the most. Marty delivers some right hands in a lariat before Sean chucks him outside. Sean wants to suplex Marty into the ring. But Marty suplexes Sean out of the ring and he lands safely on his feet uh, before dropping. So it was fine. Then Sherry starts to come near Sean, and we think, oh, we're going to have a, a reconciliation here. She's forgiven her man, but she slaps him in the face, which makes Bobby furious, and Bobby is just screaming, just, Sean, Decker, Sean, hit her. Uh, he doesn't. Uh, Marty hits a belly-to-back suplex for a near fall. Then Sean gets chucked outside, and Marty rams him into the steps and rolls him back into the ring, falls that up with a power slam. Then Marty goes to the top turnbuckle. But he lands on his feet because Sean, he knows Sean has it scouted and hits DDT to Sean for a near fall. Marty dodges a super kick, lands one of his own for a near fall, slingshots Sean to the corner for a near fall. Joey Morella takes a ref bump from Sean. Marty then holds Sean so Sherry can hit him with a shoe. And they learned nothing from the mirror incident at all, I guess. So, of course, we've seen it a million times. Sean ducks out of the way, and she nails Marty, predictably, with the shoe. 
Then Sean and Sherry get into an argument, which I don't know what they were arguing about. Hey, thanks a lot. You hit him with the shoe. I know you were going to hit me, but it all worked out. They should have been celebrating here. Uh, Sean, he hits a super kick and not the teardrop suplex. And Marty goes down for the count. One, two, three. As Sherry runs away. So the payoff to this Rockers feud was pretty disappointing, I have to say, because it's all built on Marty getting his revenge. And yes. he didn't and get it. Never got it. No, never. Uh, he would eventually win the IC belt off of Sean on a raw, but then Sean would go on to world title status. So it wasn't like it wasn't like uh, Marty was bringing Sean back down. Um, yeah. So this match was okay, uh, but I expected more from the two of them. And but it was after that shoulder spot that the. Sean wasn't going to play uh, anymore, and uh, he didn't seem that interested in the match to begin with. Uh, both guys, I think, have been on record saying that they were really hung over from the night before anyway, which was probably not unusual or uncommon for any of the wrestlers. Um, but, yeah, they both got chewed out for this match, and rightly so, really, because... But also, for as much time, because since Marty got fired before they could pay it off the first time and came back for all the time that's been invested in this, you would think this would be actually higher up the card, like maybe before the world title match. So I don't know. I, what did you think of the match? Uh, I think it was a good match. Um, they've had better. I think they phoned it in. Both guys could have made a better effort. And I, wasn't that offended by Marty's incorrect selling, but Sean was. I probably would have pulled a Sean and went the hell off during the middle of the match because I could understand you. We go, you know, four or five minutes and you forget to sell, you know, your right shoulder and you start selling your left or something like But, dude, you just hit the damn ring post. We're talking not <laughs> even 15 seconds. 15 fucking seconds and you're selling the wrong damn shoulder. Seriously? So Gene tries to get an interview with Sherry after the match. Damn it, Sherry, you're being hysterical. Gene just goes into overdrive here. This was great by Gene Oakland, by the way. Sean then goes and yells at Sherry, but amazingly, Marty gets in there and scraps with him like immediately. Like I almost, like it was so, he got back there so fast. Like anyway. Uh, the Stooges break them up, so to be continued, but not really. See you at WrestleMania 9? Don't think so. As Marty would get fired again, either the next night or the week after on Raw, as uh, Sean accused him of being drunk and falling asleep, even though uh, he was asleep, but he wasn't drunk, and uh, then Mr. Perfect had to get him rehired. So The story of the Rockers' breakup angle, a disappointing end to an angle that had all the... Uh, the buildup of a major storyline. But Heenan says uh, that Sean should beat up Sherry because she slapped Shawn Michaels. So Heenan advocates for some domestic violence here. Up next was a match I also found disappointing given who was involved here is Bam Bam Bigelow's out to take on Big Boss Man. So you get two of these huge hosses, these big guys. I thought right out of the gate, Holy shit, this match might steal the show. Yeah, well, <laughs> with, with the capabilities that these two men have, 
I legit thought this is going to be a great, great match. Boy, was I wrong. No, it was essentially a squash match, really. And um, uh, Boss Man, uh, we commented, or I commented at WrestleMania 8, how he had slimmed down. Like, he was really slim at WrestleMania 8. Well, somehow between WrestleMania 8 and now, he's put all the weight back on. So he's back to being the big Boss Man instead of the medium-sized Boss Man. Uh, Bam Bam knocks him out of the ring. Boss Man gets back in, takes Bam Bam off his feet, and lays in some right hands. He's reading him his rights. Uh, he takes Bam Bam to the corner and gives him some more right hands. Boss Man's right hand is taped up, so maybe he was injured. They didn't really explain this that much. Um, belly to back from Bam Bam, and he tries a running headbutt, but it misses. Boss Man gives Bam Bam a bulldog. Bigelow dumps Boss Man out of the ring by ducking uh, a running Boss Man, and he splats from the apron to the ring mats. Just ouch. Bam Bam works over Boss Man's lower back and goes to a bear hug from the back uh, in homage of the Yeti, which would do this a couple of years later. Uh, then he hot shots Boss Man for a near fall. He goes back to that bear hug from behind, which was so weird. I don't know why he was doing this from behind. Bam Bam then tries a suplex, but Boss Man blocks it and hits a half one on his own, selling his bad back because it just gave out on him. Running headbutt to Boss Man's back from Bam Bam. Bam Bam misses a running cross, and Boss Man back body drops him. He uppercuts Bam Bam Bigelow, then drapes him in the ropes and goes outside to land an uppercut. Then Bam Bam cuts off the Boss Man's comeback with a big boot, a lariat, and then a flying headbutt for the win. So this match had no big comeback for the big Boss Man, and... Bam Bam really slowed it down with those fucking bear hugs. Uh, if you cut those bear hugs out, I think this match uh, would be passable. But he just, I don't know. I don't know why he was trying to work on Boss Man's lower back considering his finisher is a flying headbutt. But okay. This was another phone bin match. And I can't figure out why. Except for the fact that maybe he legit did have a a broken wrist or a cracked wrist or something that that's the reason he it was taped up but i just don't get it man this was not what i expected it to be yeah well and especially given how talented bam bam bigelow was for for a big man and um I feel like Boss Man was headed back to WCW not long after this, so maybe he didn't really care. So this match stunk, and I would have rather seen both of these guys in the Rumble. If 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 it's between this match and being in the Rumble, I would have rather had these guys in the Rumble. I agree. We go to WWF Mania footage, where Owen Hart gets sneak attacked from the front by Razor Ramon. Amazing, he didn't see this. Huge, massive man running down the hallway to to fucking clothesline him out of his boots. Uh, so he's attacking. Razor is attacking Bret Hart's family. You, you don't attack the Hart family, bro. And so we go to a promo where Razor will have gold around his neck and gold around his waist. Obviously, your father was a big influence on you and on Bret. Hey, Rocket. Daddy teaches that one, 
Well, that was the Rocket Owen Hart, who literally got creamed. And he is the brother, the little brother, I might add, of WWF champion Bret the Hitman Hart. This guy, Razor Ramon, will stoop at nothing, Brain, to get any kind of an edge. Well, of course. He wants that belt. He wants that title. He wants that money. He's got gold on his fingers, gold around his neck. He wants it around his waist. Simple. Last night, right here in the Arco Arena, who did we find in one of the big boxes? Razor Ramon. This is how he got ready. Yes. Tomorrow, Chico, when I leave this arena, I'm going to have gold on my fingers, gold around my neck, and Hitman, I'm going to have your gold around my waist. So, Rujo, take your camera crew and beat it, man. Well, that. And yo, Hitman, get some sleep, Chico. I see you tomorrow, man. Now beat it, Rujo. Which, he used that line a lot. So, uh, Razor comes out. Uh, Brett gets an interview before he goes out there. He says he'll defend his family's honor and defend he's going to do. Another bad Bret Hart promo, but whatever. All right, Razor Ramon is in the ring. World Wrestling Federation champion Bret the Hitman Hart as a fighting champion. Many title defenses for you since Saskatoon. However, I know this confrontation here at the Royal Rumble with Razor Ramon has gotten personal. Personal, this is way beyond the title match now. He's crossed something, he's crossed a line that he's never gonna forget. This is a personal thing, it's a family thing, and it's blood. And you know something, Razor Ramon is gonna pay. This isn't just an average title match, he is gonna pay for everything. And I am gonna defend my family's honor and defend I'm gonna do. All right, very good. World Wrestling Federation champion, Brett the Hitman Hart. You've got a big crowd standing by to greet you. Uh, he's the champion of the new generation. He comes out and gets a decent reaction. Razor tosses his toothpick at the kid that got Brett's glasses. What a dirty heel. So Brett levels him with right hands. Razor answers with some rights of his own. Razor misses a running knee to Brett in the corner, so Brett works over his leg. Heenan keeps saying, Ah, oh, he can't put the sharpshooter on Razor. His legs are too long, which I kept thinking... Wouldn't that help you put the sharpshooter on? But what do I know? Brett locks Razor in a figure four, but Razor's so tall he just grabs the ropes. Brett keeps the assault on his legs going. See, this makes sense because his finisher works on your legs. Uh, Razor whips Brett to the buckle, but Brett slides to escape the ring and then eats the post instead. Razor takes Brett outside and rams his back into the post again after a backbreaker. Razor does the fallaway slam to Brett when they get in the ring for a near fall. Razor whips Brett, sternum first into the post for another near fall, then locks in an abdominal stretch. Brett reverses it into one of his own, and Razor hip tosses out of it. Then we get a bear hug to Brett. More bear hugs tonight. Brett then bites Razor to escape, which was a heelish thing to do, and drops Razor out of the ring. Brett hits his slow suicide dive to Razor. They get back into the ring. Brett unloads some more rights to Razor. He follows that up with an atomic drop and a clothesline. Brett hits his clothesline from a second rope, the main rope he comes off of, for a near fall. Brett hits his signature bulldog, but Razor botches it by landing on his knee, Kane style. Uh, Russian leg sweep to Razor for a near fall. But then, Brett goes for the sharpshooter, but Razor scrambles to the ropes. Brett drags him off the ropes... 
but he can't get the sharpshooter turned as Earl gets dragged down to his to his knees as Razor used him to escape. Razor goes back on the attack to Brett's midsection. Razor puts Brett on the buckle like he's going to go for the Razor's edge, but but Brett rolls off Razor's back like does a cartwheel off his back basically or not a cartwheel but like a like a flip off his back which was really cool and then suplexes him he goes for his signature second rope elbow but razor gets a boot up to block it razor calls for the razor's edge he lifts brett up but brett slips out and backslides razor for a two count test of strength but razor uh doesn't win and brett turns it into a pinning attempt which doesn't get a pinfall but then he locks in the sharpshooter in a really cool setup, which I can't recall outside of SummerSlam 92, Brett doing a lot of really cool ways to get you into the sharpshooter. And Razor submits to the Hitman. The bad man submits to the Hitman in a match that was really, really good, I thought. Probably yeah. Razor Ramon's um, best match. I mean, he didn't get a lot of title shots, Razor, in WWF, but this was a really good match uh, between the two of them. And uh, what did you think of this match? I thought this was match of the night. Oh, definitely. And what's crazy is that, you know, Brett had a title match with Sean that wasn't that good. And Sean's a much better worker than Brett. And that... Or, Sean's a much better worker than Razor Ramon, but and this was before Sean and Brett even hated each other, and they didn't put on a great title match. But then you get Razor in there, uh, and they had a great match. Of all the Click members, I think Razor Ramon might have had the best match with uh, Brett out of... I mean, well, Brett got the best out of Diesel, but this match was far superior to any match he had with Diesel... Or Sean, really? I I dare. I mean, outside of the Iron Man match, but that's a, that's kind of a different beast altogether. Um, yeah, this was really great, and um, it's a shame that Razor Ramon turned face after this because uh, they. I think Razor could have been in the title picture a lot longer, but just didn't happen. A lot of innovative offense from Brett, and Razor held his own, and he. He's not as gifted as Brett in the ring, but I think he's he's pretty good. He's a pretty solid guy. And uh, one of those guys that always comes up in, of people that never won the world title, uh, he's probably always included in the list just because he's got the look, he's got the talent. He He's, he's as good as someone like a John Cena or somebody like that or a... Roman Reigns, a guy that's not... I'm not going to say he's the most talented in the ring, but he's got everything else, and he's passable in the ring. So, any other thoughts on Brett and Razor? I w think this is a very rare time that you see Scott Hall tap out, because I can't remember very many matches of him doing that. And uh, I thought that was... That added the, the most unique part to this match as well. Because when was the last time you've seen him tap out? He, I don't think he even did in WCW. Oh, he definitely didn't do it in WCW. Uh, unless he got... He might have lost to a torture rack, maybe? I can't think of any any other time, though. I don't even, I'm not even sure Lex Luger ever racked the man, but yeah... And well, and this is before you actually tapped out. This was a verbal submission, but still, I mean, this was, I mean, a lot of guys, 
I don't know what's changed in the mentality of wrestlers, but it wasn't until like the late 90s when tapping out became such a so such frowned upon. I think it's fine. It's and my thing of it is, and this is old school mentality, my if my finisher is a submission, if my opponent gets me in it, I'm tapping out. Because that's getting over your submission. That's getting over it. I I couldn't withstand it, that I had to tap out. You know right. what I'm saying? That is, that is getting – and I think there's just a lot of people don't want to do the job. A lot of people are – But I don't, I, don't know I, don't I don't know what's so bad about, especially if you sell the submission for a long time or, you know, you fight. You don't sell it as long as, like, Sean did to Kurt Angle's, like, ankle lock where you're you know i think you you sell it for too long but i don't see the difference in getting pinned and especially if you get pinned in a fluke i think that's almost more embarrassing than like if you get rolled up i think that's more embarrassing than tapping out to a good submission in the middle of the ring where you just get caught i mean that's i just i don't know what the big deal is about tapping out anymore it's just seen as a bitch move like People in MMA have, instead of tapped out, gotten their arms and shit broken. I mean, that's just stupid. You know, just you've lost. That's it. So, yeah. And now it sucks because no wrestler has a submission as a finisher move anymore. Like they have, it's like a transitional move. Like when Daniel Bryan puts the, the yes lock on somebody, for the most part, 99% of the time, it doesn't win the match. Uh, so, it just cheapens, and it cheapens the audience reaction to one get when one gets locked in because we're so used to seeing them just. I mean, they've cheapened finishers too now at this point. Where, I mean, pinning finishers where it takes fifteen of them to beat your opponent, but now we all know. Oh, he's got him in. Oh, well, he's gonna get out. And so I think it's, I think it's stupid. I mean, they did a good job with like Ronda Rousey and her arm bar, but recent history of the company and submissions and i think wrestling in general is just it's so weird i i just don't understand it so it's a good thing bret hart wrestled in this era when a submission could be your finisher so um because i don't like what would his alternative finisher be a pile driver i mean a pile driver or some sort of a one man heart attack i'm assuming something <laughs> yeah yeah it would have been super lame <laughs> yeah i mean yeah okay anyway i'll i'll get off my soapbox about submission moves but uh brett celebrates with the belt for a moment or two they didn't give him a lot of time to hot dog and grandstand as they pan to a kid in the crowd wearing a hulkamania shirt Boy, uh, foreshadowing the future here. Um, but now, the real main event of the night, Patrick. Forget the rumble. Forget Brett and Razor. Forget all that shit. Because Bobby Heenan says he has to go unveil Narcissus. Uh, Lex Luger uh, is under a curtain. And the curtain rises. And it's a bunch of mirrors. And a half-naked man. Lex Luger. And Bobby Heenan just goes into overdrive. Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan is ecstatic like if this was a naked woman and he was about to have sex. 
I mean, he, he was about legit, to have Lex. <laughs> yeah, sex. he was legitimately making me uncomfortable <laughs> about the fact that I thought he was legit getting turned on by this. He was really, really, really selling this. Well, he had every- to because he knew it was Lex Luger. <laughs> and so, and if anybody else had been forced to do this segment i mean this would have died a death in the arena and so he knew i'm not gonna let this segment die so i'm just gonna keep talking i'm gonna keep talking so you don't have a chance to just go silent like it's sort of like when you're a comedian on stage the sound of silence is the worst so some comedians get on stage and they just they don't stop it's like rapid fire because you don't even know what you've been hit with until after the show is over or some plays like I love the like Hamilton Hamilton on Disney Plus is a great musical, but they don't stop for anything. They just keep going. They charge at you and charge at you. And I think that's what Heenan thought about this was like this segment is going to die. So I have to keep talking and talking. He did. And yes, he was. Um, just ecstatic to see this man who he had uh, been a part of those WBF shows. Both of these guys, well, Lex never got to make it to one because he had a motorcycle wreck, which gave him his bionic forearm plate. Uh, but Heenan was uh, one of the announcers on those WBF shows, so he knew some of this terminology about mus- muscles and all this stuff. And Are you ready? The moment... You've been waiting for the moment the world's been waiting for. For the last four weeks, I've been talking about this man, Narcissus, the greatest specimen walking on earth. Words cannot describe how this man looks. Right now, it is my pleasure. It is my, it's, it's, it's an honor to introduce and to unveil Narcissus Lux. Yes, yes, he is here. Don't tease us, Lex. Don't tease us. Show us. Show us what the world's waiting to see. Oh, yes. Look at that. Look at that. You have a reason to love yourself. You have a reason. You are truly the narcissist. Let me get this. Let me do this. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, feast your eyes. Feast your eyes on that man. Look at the muscle mass. Look at the biceps. Look at the chest. Look at the abdominal region. Look at the thighs. Oh, yes. You are in love with yourself, and you have every right to be. You are the narcissist. You are the greatest creature. Gifted. You are gifted. There's only thing I can say. Eat your heart out, people! Everybody here wishes 
very look like Lex Luger, but you don't. Oh, yes. Oh, look at the definition. Look at that, Lex. Please turn around. Show the world. I know how you feel about yourself. Oh, yes. Look at that, look at that, look at that. Oh, my God. Most muscular. Oh, eat your heart out. Ladies, ladies, do you like what you see? Do you like what you see? Zoom it, zoom it. Oh, look at this, look at this, look at this. Oh, look at the definition here. Look at the thighs. Look at that. You'll never see another set of legs like that. Oh, yes. Look at those biceps. Look at the size of them. Perfectly proportioned. There's not a person here left. There's not a humanoid in this building that don't wish they were in your shoes. Oh, look at those arms. Look at the veins. You are something. Oh, you do love yourself, don't you? And you have every right to. Are you ever put together? Fans, eat your heart out. That is the man, the narcissist, Lex Luger. Look at like a washboard, like a washboard. Look at the muscular. Oh, like words can't describe him. Lex, please, like, could you tear yourself away from the mirror just for a minute or two? I got something very important. Let the people, they've seen this great body. Now let the world hear those beautiful melodious tones out of your mouth. You know, everyone here is watching with their mouth wide open. And believe me, there's a goofball in the back. He's watching very carefully because he's anything but perfect. You know, Bobby Heenan, I truly am incredible. This is history in the making. I will be Mark my words beyond a shadow of a doubt. The most dominant force that the WWF has ever seen. All other wrestlers will bow down on their knees before me because I am the most mesomorphically magnificent physical specimen beyond perfection. And speaking, Bobby, of perfection, I know you're impressed. I know everybody out here is impressed with me, Lex Luger. But I know somebody else who's back there watching who I know is impressed. But the most impressive thing of all is when I step in the ring. And Mr. Perfect, that's when you will find how truly great the narcissist Lex Luger is. If, that's if you've got the guts to take the challenge. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been part of history. Forget the inauguration. Forget the Elvis Presley stamp. This is what it's all about. This is the highlight of my career. It's an honor. It's a pleasure to have been able to stand here and unveil you to the millions of people. And now as the curtain comes down, let's see some more, just a little more. Look at the back, look at the sides of this man. Look at the legs. Please, let's see some more legs. One more shot of the legs. Please, one more time. 
And I don't listens. have any Let's trouble finding Mr. Perfect. I can guarantee you that. I'll give the guy credit. He looks great. Really, who should have been out there instead of Heenan was Vince. Because this was all, it was like Vince's mind was channeled through Heenan. Because this is what Vince thinks about, you know, muscle-bound bodies. So, it was almost like Heenan doing a Vince McMahon's mind impression. Um, this this got to a, an uncomfortable point for me because of the fact that he was sexually getting into this and i mean that with every bit of respect but he was getting into this to an uncomfortable point of yeah this was sexual harassment (laughs) this was rough man this was really really rough I and loved it. I thought it was great. I mean, it was. Oh, I'm not saying it was. It was great. Absolutely great. He sold this for every damn penny it was worth. But but it, yeah, it's uncomfortable. For, <laughs> it's uncomfortable. Yes, very. Yeah, much I would. So. I would. St- I would be uncomfortable if Bobby was doing this for like Sherry or like you know a woman too. It's just. Yeah. It's just yes. too much. <laughs> so Bobby is like. Don't tease us, Lex. Show us the goods because Lex this, was originally in a robe. He had like a cape on. This, you know, everybody remembers how much King would get into, you know, the women and stuff back around the <laughs> Attitude Era. And, okay, this was worse than that. Yeah, he's uh, so uh, Lex throws his cape off. Yeah, I mean, Heenan had managed like Rick Rude before, but he never freaked out when Rude took his robe off and like just started like oogling at him. Uh, So Lex drops his cape and oh my goodness, show us the leg, more leg. And I'll I'll include the whole thing. It's uh, great up until it's time for Lex to speak. And then... Then you have normal Lex Luger yeah. trying to use gigantic dictionary words that he does not have any fucking idea what they mean. Yes, so Lex says he's incredible, and he will be, beyond the shadow of a doubt, the most dominant force WWF has ever seen, and he's mesomorphically magnificent. And he calls out Mr. Perfect if he's got the guts, which Mr. Perfect, kind of chicken shit here, didn't respond to him at all. <laughs> didn't come out... Just, uh, okay, he's challenging Mr. Perfect. And then, as you mentioned, uh, the awkward scene as the promo comes to an end and Bobby Heenan gets on his knees as the curtains come down. So it looks like they're getting a little uh, one-on-one time here as the curtains come down to end this segment. And uh, boy, uh, what a debut for the narcissist, which would be changed to the narcissist uh, shortly thereafter. But uh, yeah. And uh, how ironic that he would go from this to Mr. America in literally less than six months, I would say. But yeah, he did it on the 4th of July. It was on the 4th of July. Yes. Yes. 4th of July. So Uh, six six months. months. Yeah. Six months. And this. And when he turned face. He did it on the boat. Like he was bad guy and he landed in a helicopter and he was all of a sudden America's hero. So Oh God, he's got the red, white, and blue American flag t shirt. Yeah. He's talking about 
screw Japan, this is America, and I'm going to do it. And, oh, God, this this was one of the most glorious, proud American moments of all time. It was. It was just like uh, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the day that Lex Luger halfway slammed Yokozuna. In Vince's mind, it was that great. It was, but he would quickly sour on Lex Luger, and the rest is history. As uh, Luger, uh, when he showed back up in WCW, uh, he would revisit this narcissist character, basically, when he was the total package, when they just called him total package. He wasn't even Lex Luger in Vince Russo's WCW. So, So there you go. That was a segment to remember. But then here's a segment not to remember when... A very white Caesar and a Cleopatra come out and declare that WrestleMania 9 will be happening at Caesar's Palace. Let the games begin, which they wouldn't begin until the day of WrestleMania in the parking lot. So wait for that. Time for the Royal Rumble. And uh, again, no promo train here. No, uh, you know, I, I just something was missing about this all this whole thing. Anyway. Time for the Royal Rumble, and Ric Flair drew number one to Bobby Heenan's dismay. He went from elation with Lex Luger to dismay at Ric Flair, somehow forgetting that Flair won the whole thing last year from, like, number three. So, anyway, he'll take on a returning Bob Backlund at number two. This is the face good guy Bob Backlund, who they keep stressing, oh, he's in his 40s. Well, he's actually... Younger by a few months than Ric Flair. So I don't know why Gorilla kept mentioning his age. But anyway, uh, Flair brushes him off and struts. They both wore the same ring gear, so this was kind of distracting. Red Speedos. Flair rakes his eyes and chops him. So it's the champion of the uh, 80s from the NWA and the champion of the late 70s from the WWWF here with Backlund and... Uh, flair. So interesting. They would start out the new generation starting out hot here. Uh, big atomic drop from Backlund gets a flare flop. Then number three, Papa Shango, and he goes after Backlund with headbutts. But Flair sneaks up behind him and dumps him out super quickly. And it's because Shango was injured, so he couldn't work a full match. So this, despite having people like Hacksaw Jim Duggan on the roster who were not injured. And got replaced for some reason. So we'd rather have an injured guy go out there and get dumped out than have Jim Duggan. So uh, that's what happened there. Number four is Ted DiBiase. He goes after Backlund as well. So it's two on one heels versus the face. DiBiase and Flair try to eliminate him. They chop him in the ropes and just hold him there. They take him to the other side of the ring and do the same. Nasty boy Brian Nobbs is number five and he legit gets a huge pop. Because he's the only face uh, uh, that the audience really knows uh, to show up yet. So he comes in and takes down the heels. He goes on a run. They give Nasty Boy Knobs a run here. He almost eliminates Ric Flair. Then Backlund takes Flair to the corner as Knobs works with uh, DiBiase. Knobs delivers the pit stop to DiBiase as the buzzer goes off. By the way, no themes for all these buzzers. Um, They hadn't started doing that yet. And 
Uh, Backlund didn't have a theme song, so the only theme song that you heard was Ric Flair's. And even after the match was over, you didn't hear Yokozuna's theme song. So Nobbs delivers uh, yeah, the pit stop to DiBiase. The buzzer goes off, and Virgil enters the ring, the boxing Virgil. And he goes right after his former boss, Ted DiBiase. He atomic drops him and dances around, punching him. Nobbs gets eliminated by DiBiase, who low-bridged him. Backlund works with Flair and DiBiase, focuses on Virgil. Then Jerry Lawler is in next, as he had just come into the company to host superstars and had a partnership with the USWA and the, the WWF, so he was in. He teams up with DiBiase to work on Virgil. Then he battles Flair, which is weird because they're both heels. Uh, Flair rolls under the ropes to escape. Lawler's tights look like something he designed himself. Very weird design here. Max Moon, Paul Diamond jettisons into the ring next he goes after the king before flair cuts him off max moon skins the cat to no reaction and then goes after flair now there are six people in the ring moon gets dumped by king as the buzzer goes off and Tenaru from all japan pro wrestling comes into the ring without any explanation of why he's here but he's just here uh, he goes after Flair and chops him in the corner. Devastating chops. He might have a better chop than Ric Flair in this moment anyway. Lawler teases dumping Backlund. And then the first potential winner of this whole thing, in my opinion, comes out. Mr. Perfect is out next. He gets a big reaction because the fans know the feud. He charges right after Flair, delivers some big chops and an uppercut, followed by a knee lift. Flair climbs to the top turnbuckle, which is a very stupid move for multiple reasons. Uh, the first being it's a Royal Rumble and don't ever go to the top. And the second being that Flair never connects with anything from the top. So he gets slammed. Then he gets a neck snap from Perfect. Flair then slows him down with a thumb to the eyes. Heenan teases to the Loser Leaves Town match on Raw, which we mentioned earlier. Then Skinner is out next. So the job, the jobber guys will take up a lot of this rumble. This is the big difference between this rumble and the 92 rumble is because the 92 rumble was stacked with legit Hall of Fame contenders and Hall of Fame members, and this year was stacked with jobbers. Uh, Skinner is out next. He goes after Perfect and holds him for Flair to deliver a punch. Perfect dodges a clothesline and eliminates Flair to a huge reaction, and Flair's reaction to getting eliminated was awesome because... Wrestlers don't do this anymore either. If they do this, they'll get back in the ring and fight. Like that's their reaction. But they never just freak out and like just and leave anyway. Like Flair was just losing his fucking mind that he had been dumped. So I I loved his elimination. Coco Beware in his bright green MC Hammer pants is out next. Uh, his Jay parachute had pants. Coco put on a lot of weight. <laughs> yes, Coco Bigware, I think. Uh, Coco Big Menswear, I think, was his real moniker here. As he was part of High Voltage with the Rocket Owen Hart at this time. Heenan says the bad thing about the Rumble is anyone could win, including Coco Beware. Aw, oh, that's not nice. Skinner then skins the cat, so he skins something, but then gets dropped out of the ring by Mr. Perfect. Samu is number 13, and he's brought out by Afa. Then we get the Berserker out next. Perfect dumps out Jerry Lawler. And then Coco Beware turns heel and helps Ted DiBiase to dump Mr. Perfect along with Jerry Lawler on the outside. So again, I hate it when eliminated guys eliminate a, a legal man. But here, Coco Beware fucking helping dirty heel Ted DiBiase eliminate Perfect. And the crowd was very upset by this elimination. And I was too because 
boy, the star power really died here for a little while. As uh, the, the close up of Jerry the King Lawler's attire <laughs> is legit one of his most awesome fucking tights he has ever worn. Yeah, they've, they've got like card the, designs on it, basically. Yes, I love the shit out of this. This was really badass. Yeah, like I said, I think this is definitely something he drew himself because he is a talented artist. So, um, despite all my other criticisms of him, he can paint and draw very well. So, I thought it was cool that he wore this. I mean, it's his Rumble debut. It's probably his in-ring debut on TV. I'm not entirely sure, but... Um, I thought it was cool to wear something special instead of just his red and black. So, yeah, so Perfect gets eliminated, and uh, Heenan is delighted by this. But Virgil, he got eliminated too, but it happened off camera. Poor Virgil. Lawler is walking out of the arena and gets scared by The Undertaker. So, a really cool move there, because he, he gives the crowd the big fist, the dirty fist without the middle finger, and then he sees the Undertaker and freaks out and then goes to the back. Uh, Undertaker does his slow walk to the ring, which Heenan says by the time he gets to the ring, it'll be WrestleMania time. So I'm glad someone else is offended by how long it takes Undertaker to walk. <laughs> Berserker attacks Backlund with a chair on the outside, but both men went through the middle ropes. Taker dumps Samu while this is going on. Taker then back body drops Tenaru with a back body drop. Terry Taylor, no longer a rooster man, he's out next. He didn't get the memo about red tights, as Flair and Backlund and Taylor all wore the same shit. DiBiase dumps Coco and Terry Taylor together, thank goodness. And then Deb- <laughs> then DiBiase walks into a chokeslam from Undertaker and gets promptly eliminated. Undertaker battles with Berserker. The two big men are left in the ring as Backlund was recovering on the outside. And then... A giant naked hairy man. Well, a man in a giant naked suit with hair covering his privates and shoulders walks down the aisle with Harvey Whippleman. Patrick, you must have been going crazy for this. I did, because this man is massive. Yeah, Bobby Heenan. This man is huge. Yeah. Andre the Giant no longer in the company. We need a big man. The giantest man we can find. So they hired Giant Gonzalez, El Gigante from his WCW days. But the problem with El Gigante is that he never really had that big beefed up body that Vince McMahon loves, as we saw with Lex Luger. If he looked like Lex Luger, um, I think he would have had a much longer run in the WWF. But really being tall, he had a longer run than he should have, because like we've said many times, or I've said definitely Being tall is the greatest attribute you can have uh, as far as getting hired in the WWF. Doesn't matter how you wrestle, doesn't really matter how you look or anything else, how tall are you? If you are above 6'8 or 6'9, the chances of you getting signed are very high, just on that alone. So they brought in El Gigante, but... Oh, he's got a bad body, so we put... They didn't learn their lesson with Warrior and the airbrush muscle suit, so they put one on Giant Gonzalez here, which didn't have a name at this point, so Heenan and Gorilla just say, Who is that guy? Who, who is that? He's huge. Heenan even goes as far as to say he might be 20 feet tall. 
okay, well, that's just insane. Even even Gorilla is like, no, nah, he's closer to eight feet. Even Gorilla has to rein in Bobby Heenan saying he's 20 feet tall. How much does that guy weigh? Oh, that. Oh, if they had Art Donovan there, he would have been... That's that's my new pick. <laughs> that's my pick to win. How much does he weigh? He looks like a boxer. Uh, oh, God. If we had Art Donovan on this show, it would have been a 10 out of 10 for me. It would have been a giant Gonzalez on a rating scale, but... Um, Taker dumps Berserker, and they needed to get the other tall man out of the ring so they could have this stare down. So Giant Gonzalez, who is not an official entrant, by the way, which I thought was weird because, like, he could still be an entrant and just, like, step over the ropes because he doesn't understand how it works or something. But he's not an official entrant, so it's just him and Taker as Backlund is still selling his chair attack. He stands there and he opens his hands, Patrick. The most intimidating thing you can do is open your hands. The buzzer goes off and nobody comes down. Gorilla says it'll be Damien Demento. We all just hold our breath and wait. Gonzalez then eliminates Taker. He punched him and he fell over the ropes. Oh my goodness. A big favorite is eliminated by a guy that's not in the match. Gonzalez then slings Taker into the steps. Demento looks on to all this but does not enter the ring. Taker. Gets chokeslammed by Giant Gonzalez, which probably provided a lot of help to Giant Gonzalez to be able to do this. Then Gonzalez slams Taker's leg into the post. And Taker, I say this unironically, has to play dead. The dead man has to play dead as he lays in the corner of the ring. And Giant Gonzalez gets escorted to the back by the referees. So, wow, what a debut. I can't wait for WrestleMania 9 where this giant man used chloroform to to get disqualified. Well, yeah, I mean, he tried to kill him. <laughs> yeah. He well, you can, I mean, you can't kill a dead man though, so That's true. That's true. IRS comes out next. Taker attempted, attempted murder live in front of an audience of people. Well, or even worse, like a kidnapping, because, I mean, who knows what he was going to do with him after he chloroformed him, you know? And That is true, too. Also, it's just weird, going back to that WrestleMania 9 match, not to get distracted too much, but it's weird that Undertaker would be affected by chloroform, because he is a dead man. So, that, yes. It's hard for him to sell nut shots and chloroform, It's because it's hard to explain, well, this undead zombie man, he does have nuts, and he does react to, to chemicals, so whatever. Uh, IRS comes out next. He makes he makes little dead babies. <laughs> yes, he he, he does. Uh, that's that would be why great. he has. That's why he has dead nuts. Dead nuts. <laughs> the dead man's grapefruits. The dead fruits. Takers, like I said, plays dead in the corner while Demento, Backlund, and IRS battle in the ring. Oh boy, what a bunch of stars we have here. Tatanka is out next, and he goes after IRS, which in a couple of years, these two guys would be in the same team together. Tatanka would sell out and join IRS. Paul Bearer uses the urn to revive Taker. Why didn't he do that earlier? Where was he during the attack? I don't know. But Paul Bearer uses the urn to revive Undertaker, and I think this crowd thought he was still in the match, and they were like, they pop for him sitting up and getting getting up, but then he just leaves, so... Nasty Boy Sags is out next. Typhoon follows him, and Bobby Heenan calls him Buffoon. Fatu of the Head Shrinkers is next, and Alpha 
smacks him around to get him fired up before he goes in the ring. And like I said, this is the lowest point in the Rumble as there aren't any big stars in the ring to this crowd anyway. But that changes with the next entrant, Earthquake, who just, like, all these guys are like tag team members, but the crowd still loves Earthquake. He goes in, and Patrick, if you and I are in a tag team, and I'm already in the ring fighting, and you come in for the Royal Rumble, who are you going to go after first? Yeah, I'm going to go after the small guy. Well, he, he went after his partner, Typhoon, so... Yeah, go after the small guy, hope my partner's going to help me, Yeah. That kind of thing. No, let's go after the biggest guy in the ring, and let's also make sure that he's my only ally, and fuck him up. So that's what he does, and uh, he eliminates his own partner by ducking Typhoon, and he goes flying over the top. Carlos Colon, which is a memorable call by Gorillas, he says, that youngster's got a lot of fire in him. Carlos Colon, who's older than Ric Flair and Bob Backlund, uh, is out next. Damian Demento is eliminated by Carlos Colon. Tito Santana, the Matador, El Matador, is out next. Backlund dumps Fatu out of the ring. Rick Martel is out next and goes after his old Strike Force partner, Tito Santana, but Tito fights back. IRS gets eliminated by leaping at Earthquake and sailing over the top. Yoko Zuna is out next with Mr. Fuji. Heenan says his training involved eating a bunch of food. What a way to train. Zuna then dumps Tatanka, then Cologne, then the two sumos square off, the real sumo and the fake one, as Zuna stares down Earthquake, and the Arco Arena rumbles the arena by stomping their feet. They were hyped for this stare down. The Rocket Owen Hart is out next. Zuna belly to belly's Earthquake, and I put that, uh, that's greatly exaggerated, but he gets Earthquake over the top, the two biggest bellies, the biggest belly to belly ever, as, uh, he gets Earthquake over the top and eliminates him. Heenan then predicts Zuna to win this whole thing. So he's right, just like he was when Hulk Hogan turned heel at, at Bash at the Beach. Whose side is he on? And he also predicts Zuna to win the Rumble. Repo Man, I mean, he's like Nostradamus, this Heenan. Uh, Repo Man is out next. All the wrestlers team up to try to eliminate Yo- Yokozuna, but he battles him off. Then Macho Man is out next. He's number 30. He comes out to a huge reaction, which uh, sadly would not lead to anything for him. Zuna dumps Tito. Owen eliminates Sags. Owen skins the cat to dodge elimination, but Zuna violently whips him out of the ring. Ouch. Macho dumps Repo Man, who I think has stolen Macho Man's hat. The final four of not the 93 Rumble is Bob Backlund, Rick Martell, Macho Man, and Yokozuna. Martell and Backlund battle until Backlund jump, dumps him off the buckle. So Backlund gets an elimination. The crowd actually pops for this, thinking Backlund has a shot at winning this. He already breaks Ric Flair's record in the Rumble of time in the Rumble, which was just set a year ago. So he's already outlasted that. I'm just throwing this out there. It would have been badass for Backlund to win this because that would have been a curveball no one was expecting. I would have liked it if he was the heel Mr. Backlund who eventually did win the belt off of Brett. Like, if he was that character. Well, that's, what I'm saying. that's what I'm saying. He win, okay? And then he turns and, into that character. And he turns on Brett and somehow or another gets screwed out and we could still do Yoko. But, I mean, he turns on Brett and we do, you know, Mr. Backlund here. Yeah. And we can make that a long-running feud. 
even without the title, then Brett gets the title back and all that. As much as I shit on Bob Backlund all the time, uh, the Mr. Backlund and the cross-faced chicken wing, they did do a good job of getting that over uh, when he was a heel to unfortunately squander it all and give the belt to Diesel. But uh, that was a good run for him. Uh, Zuna stares down Bob Backlund. Backlund drop kicks him, but Zuna stays on his feet. Then he charges at Zuna, a stupid thing to do in the Royal Rumble, who just dumps him over the ropes. So Bob Backlund, much like uh, Mr. Perfect in the 2003 Rumble, uh, just came down to the final three but couldn't couldn't get past it. The final two men in this match, Macho Man and Yoko Zuna. Zuna just smothers Macho Man in the corner before Macho battles back. Macho Man can't get the big man off his feet and eats a super kick. He eats the biggest leg drop from Zuna. Then he gets a big hip attack in the corner. He tries it again, but misses, and Macho Man drops a Macho Man elbow, who then does the dumbest thing I think I've ever seen in a Royal Rumble, goes for a cover. And then Zuna just chucks him from the floor over the top rope, which Macho Man had credit to him for doing this, but it made him look like an an absolute idiot. And he gets eliminated from trying to pin Yokozuna. So Yokozuna is the winner of the 1993 Royal Rumble. Patrick, what did you think of this edition of the Rumble match? I think it was a good rumble. It had some ups and downs, but I think after it was all said and done, it was a decent rumble and a memorable rumble that will stand the test of time. I think that it was okay. Uh, I think there was a lot of jobber guys in the match, and you really kind of... Like I said, I would have had two spots for Bam Bam and Boss Man instead of that singles match. Uh, I would have had uh, guys like Jim Duggan, even though he's not my favorite wrestler of all time or anything, but he is a big name. And you had a lot of people that had departed the country because this was around the time the steroid scandal was underway. And you had take, take the take the Berserker out. Yeah, yeah. Skinner, Berserker, Repo Man, Damian yeah. Demento. I mean, they had a lot of job guys in I there. Mean, I, I would have kept Repo, but yeah, I think Damian Demento, which nobody likes. The Berserker, nobody likes. Skinner, that character is is unexplainable in itself. So, I mean, yeah. And then they had a lot of randoms like Carlos Colon and uh, Teneru and, and guys that the audience wouldn't even know. So, I just think... But obviously they needed to fill spots for some of it, so I don't know. I just compared, I mean, 92, the star power in 92 was just so big. Like, even, maybe you even put Luger in this thing to get over, like, maybe he's a surprise entrant and he eliminates perfect or something. Like, I just think you put... I just think it lacks star power. I mean, there was probably nothing they could do about it because they were limited in their resources. But, And I think it went on a little too long. But part of that is because uh, some of these guys, I mean, they had a lot of massive, like Earthquake, Typhoon, and Yokozuna. Those guys are massive dudes that are going to slander around the ring. And then you had the giant Gonzalez thing in the middle of it, which he could have been an entrant as well. Um 
I think if I was the crowd, I would have been really disappointed. I would have been really sour on this. Uh, not even just because a face didn't win, but because, I mean, there wasn't a lot of star power. A heel won. A lot of your favorites got eliminated pretty quickly and didn't have long runs in the Rumble. Like Perfect and Taker and those kind of guys. Like, So that's why I just, I don't think it's that great of a Rumble. It's by far not the worst, but it's... Somewhere middle of the pack of all the rumbles that I've seen. It's not. I, I outside of the winner and the way that he wins and the the fact that Macho Man tried to cover, um, and the Giant Gonzalez debut, which I think a lot of people would like to forget happened, but uh, there's just not a lot of. And this is again before they structured the rumble to have a lot of big spots in it like they, I mean they did incorporate the Gonzalez spot and stuff like that and they had a couple of cool eliminations but no one was hitting finishers you didn't have the Kofi Kingston escape elimination spot King didn't hide under the ring for 30 minutes you didn't have a lot of the traditional gimmicks that they would would learn to incorporate so but this is still relatively new a relatively new concept for them so they're still working on doing you know setting all that up so i'll give them the benefit of the doubt on this one but uh it was just sort of a middle of the road rumble match for me uh zuna wins the rumble and gets greeted again by cleopatra and caesar i'm sure we were all just rooting to see them again and then we get highlights from the show like pictures a slideshow and uh some generic music plays which i'm sure they dubbed over on the network and then we see Yokozuna taking pictures in the back, and he's interrupted by Bret Hart for their showdown at WrestleMania. And then we just cut away, and that's the end of the show. So kind of a shitty ending, too. I mean, at least give Bret, like, why didn't Bret come down to the ring and confront him? You know, have a stare down instead of just, ah, this is just in the back. Like, get the crowd something to tease them with, you know. But, I mean, the whole thing was, the whole match was... Just a giant tease, as we would find out at WrestleMania 9. So, Patrick, what do you think about this pay-per-view? Like I said, it, it had its ups. It had, it had its downs. Uh, not one of the better pay-per-views they would put on in 93, but it is a rumble itself, so that does somewhat kind of lifted up on the on the scale but not not very much yeah i i thought the brett and razor match is really good but it's sort of forgotten about because anytime that and that's the problem with rumbles pay-per-views because those title matches usually go on before the rumble they kind of get swept under the rug so a really great rumble title match is always kind of forgotten about because of that 30-man battle royal so and that's why some years I think I kind of support the title match going on last before after the Rumble. Because then at least you remember it. You could have the winner of the Rumble come out. Yokozuna could have come out and done a stare down. Or maybe tried to screw Bret out of the title. Which happened a lot to Bret Hart. But um, yeah. Uh, didn't, like, didn't like the Boss Man Bam Bam match. The Sean and Marty match was disappointing. And... I thought the Beverly Brothers match and with the Steiners was okay, but I just hate the Beverly Brothers, so I can't ever give it a thumbs up. But uh, So, yeah, this pay-per-view as a whole was 
kind of a slog for me, really. I, I hate to say it, but I mean, it was the rumble match itself took over an hour of it. So, um, yeah, uh, middle of the road for me. But Patrick, on our rating scale, which includes one of the guys featured in this rumble, Hornswoggle or Giant Gonzalez, where does this stack up? I'm going to give it a dead man's balls. Dead man's balls. So probably around four feet or so um, in the air, I assume. I don't. Uh, I haven't measured Undertaker's balls where they land in height-wise capabilities. <laughs> but uh, I don't know where his balls land height-wise on the scale. But I'm going to give this one a... I'm going to give this one a Marty Janetti because... Uh, it was talented, but it didn't quite live up to its billing. Well, it's my pick for this week, and uh, or, well, when we see you next time, I'm not sure if we'll record next week or not. I never know. It's a mystery. That's part of the fun in listening to the Retro Wrestling Podcast. You never know when an episode's going to come out. Uh, but I am going to choose a pay-per-view that's not a pay-per-view. It's from February 5th, 1994. The night the line was crossed, a very memorable moment in ECW history, but I have never seen the rest of this show. Uh, the night that Shane Douglas uh, threw down a belt, and uh, it's given all this, all the ECW highlight shows, all the recaps, the Paul Heyman DVD, uh, all these DVDs always show this one moment, but they never talk about the rest of the night, so I want to know what happens the rest of the night on that Eastern Championship Wrestling show. So it's on the network now. They finally put all the super shows up there. So the night I'm on. ecstatic because I have I'm pretty close with Shane and I have got the backstory on this whole ordeal that I will gladly share when we get to it uh next week or next time. But yeah. this is going to be awesome. Yeah, the night the line was crossed is where we'll be going, as we haven't done ECW in a while, so why not? And that'll do it for this week. You can find us, uh, the podcast just got added to Amazon Music, so we're on another streaming platform, but you're already listening to us, so you probably don't need to know that information. You can also find us at RetroWrestlingPodcast.com on Facebook and on Twitter at RetroWPodcast, and you can find... Patrick Young at Ref Patrick Young on Twitter, referee Patrick Young on Facebook, and he'll always be up for a chat with you, presuming that he's not playing 2K Battlegrounds. Yeah, that's not going to happen, so I'll definitely answer your questions. All right, well, that'll do it for this week. I'm intern Alex. I am the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my closing line's a clothesline. And bingo, bango.